You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. And you have to ask, which interpretation is therefore more culturally biased? And more so, what's the fruit of interpretation? One, one interpretation produces demonstrable bodily harm to a group of human beings because they are born different. And that should This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 279 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. It's a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee might have to offer us in our work today of love, compassion, and action, and justice. Our title this week is Calling Good Evil Part 3, and our feature text is Luke 6, 43-44. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. So this week, we're continuing our look at, at passages that, that Christians have typically interpreted and, and used in ways that, that harm LGBTQ people and others. And there are a myriad of ways to interpret the passages that, that we're considering in this series. So I want to remind us just continue to ask uh, yourself, what is the the fruit of how I interpret these passages? Are my interpretations um, are my interpretations doing harm, or are my interpretations life giving? And, and as Jesus said, no good tree or interpretation rather uh, bears bad fruit. A few years back. I listened to a presentation by by Justin Lee where he mentioned Mark Knoll's book, The Civil War as a Theological Crisis. And Lee brought up Knoll's book because of the the striking similarities between the theological crisis that slavery and the abolition movement brought to Christianity in in America and today's schisms caused by churches' uh, refusal to recognize, include, embrace, and celebrate Christianity who identify as LGBTQ. The United Methodist Church's recent decisions, I think, are just one example. Immediately after listening uh, to to that presentation a few years back by Lee, I went out and I purchased Noel's book, and I was shocked at how, really, he was right, how similar the arguments uh, for and against abolition were, uh, how similar they are to today's arguments for and against inclusion of LGBTQ Christians as, as, as members and as clergy in the, in the Christian church. And Noel writes, this is from page 49 of his book, The Civil War as Theological Crisis, nuanced biblical attacks on American slavery faced rough going precisely because they were nuanced. This position could not simply be read out of any one biblical text. It could not be lifted directly from the page. Rather, it needed patient reflection on the entirety of the scriptures. It required expert knowledge of the historical circumstances of the ancient Near East and Roman slave systems, as well as the actual existing conditions in the slave states. And it demanded that sophisticated interpretive practice replace a commonsensically literal approach to the sacred text. In other words, for those who were 
who were uh, still maintaining respect for their sacred text, uh, uh, the Bible. Um, it took a much more uh, sophisticated approach to the text to come up with a position that would oppose slavery and, and, or, or affirm abolition. And, and as we turn to, to the New Testament passages that we're considering in this series— we too must we must pay attention to nuance. We must do more than than just engage in surface readings of of passages that too easily can be interpreted through our own unseen biases. We need to not throw out our sacred text, but but we have to simply learn to look more deeply at passages in in their context and in and in our context today to arrive at at life-giving interpretations. So this is keenly true of our first two passages this week. We're going to be looking at uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 1 Timothy 1, 10. Now, also the term homosexuality, um, though it was invented in the late 1800s, it didn't appear in any Bible before 1946. And this is significant. As I argued last week, the passages in the Hebrew scriptures that that Christians typically associate with with loving same-sex relationships, those passages were not addressing same-sex attraction as we understand it today. And Christians for most of history, read these two New Testament passages also very differently than those that have, uh, that have been translated more recently. So I want you to see the progression in, in the translations. This is the King James Version, 1611, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves, of mankind. So there you have uh, a 1611 version. There was no uh, uh, term homosexuality, therefore it's not even used here. In 1 Timothy 1.10, it says, For whoremongers, uh, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Again, the term homosexual doesn't show up in this passage, in this translation of the passage. Matter of fact, if we look at the Revised English Bible, who was which was translated in 1989, but who I, I feel is trying to be more uh, 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 accurate to the actual text, uh, the original text in the, in the original languages, uh, in the original culture, those languages were written. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 reads, Surely you know that wrongdoers will never possess the kingdom of God. Make no mistake, no fornicator, adulterer, no adulterer, or sexual pervert. And, and, and what does he mean by that? Um, we're going to see in just a moment. In 1 Timothy 1.10, fornicators, perverts, uh, kidnappers, liars, perjurers, in fact, all whose behavior flouts the sound teaching. Again, even though this is 1989, the term homosexual does not even, or homosexuality even, doesn't, doesn't it show up in this text? And, and so why does it show up in other translations? Well, the two Greek words in these passages are malakoi and arsenikoitai. And, and these words are extremely difficult to 
translate. We, we've seen that the passages in the Hebrew scriptures that are usually associated with our topic, they're actually referring to sexual violence that men use to terrorize or dehumanize other men in times of war. And again, I want to recommend part one and part two of this series to you for that. But Brownson also, he, he reveals that these two passages that we're looking at this week in the New Testament, they were not speaking of what we call homosexuality today. They were describing a, a very abusive Roman practice of pederasty. And that was sex between an older man and a young boy. It was sex with a minor, which... <clears throat> That would today be condemned as as rape by the LGBTQ community. Uh, Arsenikoitai, he writes, this is from page 274 of Brownson's book, Bible, Gender, Sexuality, Reframing the Church's Debate on Same-Sex Relationships. Arsenikoitai is particularly problematic because there is no attested usage of this word preceding the New Testament documents. That is, in extra-biblical literature that might provide additional information about its range of meaning. But the most important thing to recognize is that there are two words, not just one. Most scholars recognize that the presence of these two words reflects widespread assumptions throughout the ancient world about male-male homosexual activity. Almost all the documents discussing male sex in... uh, or male same-sex eroticism, assume a distinction between active older men, commonly referred to in Greek as erastai, and passive younger males, commonly referred to as eromenoi. Yeah, ero. Menoi, that's it. In other words, the practice of pederasty. The malakoi, which is the softies, or the the younger, the passive, uh, uh, menoi, and the arsenikoitai, which is the man-betters, are the older active erasti. So what he's showing is by these two words, malakoi and Arsenikoitai, it's most probable that this was actually referring to uh, a, a, a pederasty, not a more generic, um, same-sex, loving, committed, consensual uh, relationships. Brownson concludes this on page 275. He says, when we take the original social context of these vice lists seriously, we again recognize a gap between what these vice lists are rejecting and what is happening happening in committed same-sex relationships today. After 1946, though, um, there's an obvious homophobic bias that we see in in New Testament translations. And honestly, it's not warranted by the original languages. Where the original languages address sexual and power violations between an adult and a child, uh, think of it more in terms of injustice and violation 
um, we we begin to see after 1946 again a generic uh, homophobia instead. And here are a few examples of more contemporary translations. In in the New International Version, which 2011, 1 Corinthians 6:9 says, "Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. Again, notice uh, there's no mention of of women having sex with women, uh, only men who have sex with men. And and I want to make a point about this in just a second, but let's read 1 Timothy 1.10. For the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. What, what I want you to notice here is how the NIV, this wording of men who have sex with men and the use of homosexuality, the pederasty reference in the original language, it is completely and with bias ignored. You would never see the age difference between uh, the, the two uh, persons involved here uh, that are being discussed. You, you, that, that, you totally miss that in the NIV's translation. In the New American Standard Version, which was 19... 1960, sorry, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it says, do not, you, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. In 1 Timothy 1, 10, and an immoral man, and immoral men, and homosexuals, and kidnappers, and liars, and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. Again, this is 1960, and there's no justification for it in the original language, and 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 to, to go from pederasty to just generic homosexuality. This is the today's New International Version of, of 2005, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor practicing homosexuals. That term, practicing homosexuals, that clearly reveals cultural bias bias in the language that's being used here. Um, it, 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 that term practicing, what does that even mean? In 1 Timothy 1.10, for the sexual immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. The New Revised Standard Version, 1989, uh, it says, do not be deceived. Wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, and sodomites. In 1 Timothy 1.10, it says as well, fornicators, sodomites, uh, slave traders, liars, perjurers, whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching. Uh, again, you totally lose in these uh, more biased translations after 1946. You, 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 you totally lose the, the age dynamic that's being talked about here. And, and, uh, uh, and again, it's only concerned, like we saw with... Um, the, the, the Old Testament passages, it's only concerned with uh, uh, men, uh, with uh, adult men with young boys. There, there's no critique here of older men with underage girls, which reveals also the, uh, uh, the, 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 the challenge of those times, that culture. But, but we've, cons we've considered what was really happening in the ancient Sodom stories. I want to talk to you about this last one, the New Revised Standard Version, where it uses the term Sodomite. 
sodomites. The term sodomites that's used in this version, that's a misnomer too, and it betrays, uh, again, a heterosexist bias and a, a cultural normativity of our day. So, And that's the biggest point this week. Those who seek to interpret these Bible texts in more life-giving ways within the, the Christian LGBTQ community, they're often accused of allowing the present culture to bias them. But what we see in the progression of translations over the last half century is that translating 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Timothy 1 uh, with terms like homosexuality rather than pederasty, it allows contemporary cultural homosexuality homophobia to bias the translations while completely ignoring the cultural context which these passages were originally intended for and were written in. And using the term homosexual in these translations, it represents negative cultural bias. If these passages were free from homophobic bias, they would read pederasty. And, uh, and, and you have to ask, which interpretation is therefore more culturally biased, and more so, what's the fruit of interpretation? One, one interpretation produces demonstrable bodily harm to a group of human beings because they are born different, and that should warn us. In the Jesus story, Remember, there were some religious leaders, there were some scribes, Sadducees, and some Pharisees. They had a kind of holiness that marginalized the most vulnerable through their interpretations. Jesus, like the prophets before him, he instead, he valued, he valued people and interpretations of the Torah that were life-giving rather than destructive. Jesus practiced a, a kind of holiness that expressed itself in a, a, a preferential option for the vulnerable. And even if, as a Christian, you end up deeming same-sex attraction as condemned by your sacred text, you still have one grave reality staring back at you in the face. As a Jesus follower, why are the results, why are the fruits of your interpretation, why are they so different from Jesus and so identical to those in the story who crucified Jesus? We have to allow this contradiction to confront us. Regardless of our claim, the fact that LGBTQ Christian youth have such a higher suicide rate in our Christian faith tradition, a rate that's increased by their being Christian and having been rejected by their religious families, a rate that's eight times higher than non-Christian youth who are accepted, all of this screams to us that in our piety, in our holiness, we have imbibed more the spirit of those who stood in opposition to the Jesus of the story, then we have the spirit of Jesus himself. And being LGBTQ, that has not taken the life of one Christian gay young person. But our interpretations, the way that we're relating to them has. And if sin is wrong because it produces death and does harm, how we are responding to the LGBTQ population. If that's producing death, 
you have to ask, where is the sin? Where is the, the wrong that's producing death here? First, get the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see more clearly to get the dust out of someone else's. For the sake of every Christian LGBTQ young person who, who's struggling with this right now as I, I, I record this this week, for the, very, for the sake of every last phone call made and every effort engaged to talk someone back down off the ledge, it's time for change. If you are following Jesus, it's time for change. Please don't say that, that you're simply standing up for what is right. Those who rejected and crucified Jesus in the story felt that they were too. Jesus stood up to defend those who were being damaged by those who were standing up for, for what they interpreted a, a, as right. And it's time that, that we and our Jesus looked more like the one in the story. Next week, uh, we'll consider Romans 1. But for now, remember Luke 6, 43-44. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. Heart group application. First, let me say it is good to be back. And while I've been traveling over the past few weeks uh, between this recording and the last one, a lot has been happening in the Christian LGBTQ community in relation to the, the recent decisions made by uh, the, the United Methodist Church. And if, if you're not aware of those, if you're uh, living under a rock somewhere, I will put a link to, to that in this week's e-site. But it was, it was deep. Deeply disappointing uh, to watch for, for many of us who were hoping for and even expecting a very different outcome. And, and I'm encouraged personally to see how many within the Methodist tradition, how many churches are, are standing their holy ground. I want to put a, a link to that as well with the Reconciling Ministries group and, and churches who have been welcoming and affirming across the nation. I'll give you a link uh, to this as well. They're, they're choosing to be excluded on the basis of whom they include rather than included because of who they exclude. And, and this week, I would like your heart group uh, to sit down and discuss three ways that your little group can become more welcoming and affirming too. It's never a bad time to become more inclusive of those that others are marginalizing. And as we've often discussed Jesus modeled and he practiced a, a preferential option for those uh, whom others excluded. So how can your group uh, do the same? How can your group be more uh, like Jesus and following that example? And after you've listed three, make a timeline, doesn't matter how long it takes, begin putting all three of those into practice. Together, remember, we have the ability to be a source of change in our society. Thanks for checking in with us this week. Wherever you are today, keep living in love, compassion, action, and justice. Another world is possible. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.